This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by W.D. Snodgrass. Born William DeWitt Snodgrass in Pennsylvania in 1926, he attended Geneva College until the outbreak of World War II. Snodgrass was drafted into the U.S. Navy and served until 1946. After the war, he resumed his studies, this time at the University of Iowa, eventually earning an MFA from the Iowa Writers Program in 1953. Snodgrass's first collection of poetry, Heart's Needle, was published in 1959. It included a sequence of poems about being separated from his daughter after a difficult divorce. Hart's Needle won the 1960 Pulitzer Prize, and many consider it a seminal book of confessional poetry. Snodgrass often disputed this. He disliked the term confessional and didn't believe his work belonged to that style. Even so, many critics continue to see his work as a major influence on other confessional poets. As David Macduff observed, Snodgrass is at pains to reveal the repressed, violent feelings that often lurk beneath the seemingly placid surface of everyday life. Critic Brad Lighthouser wrote that Snodgrass's poetry is powerful because it draws the reader into the intense, almost voyeuristic role of bystander and eavesdropper. In his later work, Snodgrass widened his poetic vision to apply the lessons of self-examination to the problems of contemporary Western culture. These poems go beyond the direct statement and sentimentality typical of confessional poetry by using a variety of techniques to affect the reader's subconscious as well as conscious mind. In one late collection, Decompositions, Snodgrass took 101 classic poems and reconstructed them. He wanted to show just how significant the smallest components of poems could be. Snodgrass had a distinguished career teaching at many universities, including Cornell University, Syracuse University, and the University of Delaware. He lived in upstate New York with his wife, writer Kathleen Snodgrass, and died in early 2009 from lung cancer. The following poem was recorded at the Library of Congress in 1963. Song Sweet Beast I have gone prowling, a proud rejected man who lived along the edges, catches, catch can. In darkness and in hedges, I sang my sour tone, and all my love was howling conspicuously alone. I curled and slept all day, or nursed my bloodless wounds until the squares were silent where I could make my tune singular and violent. Then sure as hearers came, I crept and flinched away. And girl, you've done the same. Astray from my own type, led along by blindness, my love was near to spoiled and curdled all my kindness. I find no kin, no child, only the weasel's ilk. Sweet beast, cat of my own stripe, come and take my milk.
The following poems were recorded at a studio in New York State in 2007. This is a cycle of poems called Heart's Needle. There are ten poems, one for each season, for ten seasons, and they're addressed to my daughter, whom I feared was lost to me in my first divorce. The title, Heart's Needle, comes from an old Irish tale of the madness of Sweeney, the king, who, when told, Your daughter is dead, replied, And an only daughter is the needle of the heart. Child of my winter, born when the new fallen soldiers froze in Asia's steep ravines and fouled the snows. When I was torn by love I could not still, by fear that silenced my cramped mind to that cold war where, lost, I could not find my peace in my will. All those days we could keep your mind, a landscape of new snow, where the chilled tenant farmer finds below his fields asleep in their smooth covering, white as Quilts to warm the resting bed of birth or pain, spotless as paper spread for me to write, and thinks, Here lies my land. Unmarked by agony, the lean foot of the weasel tracking, the thick trapper's boot, and I have planned my chances to restrain the torments of demented summer or increase. The deepening harvest here before it snows again. The second poem is a springtime poem. Late April, and you are three. Today we dug your garden in the yard. To curb the damage of your play, strange dogs at night, and the moles tunneling. Four slender sticks of lath stand guard, uplifting their thin string. So you were the first to tramp it down, and after the earth was sifted close, you brought your watering can to drown all earth and us. But these mixed seeds are pressed with light loam in their steadfast rows. Child, we've done our best. Someone will have to weed and spread the young sprouts, sprinkle them in the hour when shadow falls across their bed. You should try to look at them every day, because when they come to full flower, I will be away. And the tenth and last poem, Spring Comes Around Again. The vicious winter finally yields the green winter wheat. The farmer, tired in the tired fields he dare not leave, will eat. Once more the runs come fresh, prevailing piglets, stout as jugs, harry their old sow to the railing to ease her swollen dugs 
and game colts trail the herded mares that circle the pasture courses. Our seasons bring us back once more like merry-go-round horses. With crocus mouths, perennial hungers, into the park spring comes. We roast hot dogs on old coat hangers and feed the swan breadcrumbs, pay our respects to the peacocks, rabbits, and leathery Canada goose who took last fall our tame white habits and now will not turn loose. In full regalia, the pheasant cocks march past their dubious hens, the porcupine and the lean red fox trot around bachelor pens, and the miniature-painted train wails on its oval track. You said, I'm going to Pennsylvania, and waved, and you have come back. If I loved you, they said, I'd leave and find my own affairs. Well, once again this April, we have come around to the bears, punished and cared for behind bars. The coons on bread and water stretch thin black fingers after ours. And you are still my daughter. A Locked House As we drove back, crossing the hill, the house still hidden in the trees, I always thought, a fool's fear, that it might have caught fire. Someone could have broken in, as if things must have been too good here. Still, we always found it locked tight, safe and sound. I mentioned that once as a joke. No doubt we spoke of the absurdity to fear some dour god's jealousy of our good fortune. From the farm next door, our neighbors saw no harm came to the things we cared for here. What did we have to fear? Maybe I should have thought all things, all such things rot, fall, barns, houses, furniture. We two are stronger than we were apart. We've grown together. Everything we own can burn. We know what counts. Some such idea. We said as much. We'd watched friends driven to betray, felt that Love drained away some self they need. We'd said love, like a growth, can feed on hate. We turn in in disguise. We warned ourselves that you might despise me. Hate all we both loved best. None of us ever guessed. The house still stands, locked, as it stood untouched a good two years after you went, some things passed in the settlement, some things slipped away. Enough's left that I come back sometimes, 
the theft and vandalism were our own. Maybe we should have known. When I was in the Navy during World War II, one morning a man came and took about 35 of us out and gave us a lesson in how should you get caught out without any weapons at all. You can kill a man with your bare hands. You will hear his voice here. You're also hearing another voice that I learned at the same time, and that was the voice of the great Jewish philosopher Baruch Spinoza. First two lines from him, then two lines from the combat instructor, then Spinoza, then the combat instructor. And then at the end, there's a man who's trying in his own head to make sense out of these two voices. After experience taught me that all the ordinary surroundings of social life are futile and vain, I'm going to show you something very ugly. Someday it might save your life. Seeing that none of the things I feared contain in themselves anything either good or bad. What if you get caught without a knife? Nothing. Even a loop of piano wire. Excepting only in the effect they had upon my mind. I resolved to inquire, take the first two fingers of this hand, fork them out, kind of a V for victory, whether there might be something whose discovery would grant me supreme, unending happiness, and jam them into the eyes of your enemy. You have to do this hard, very hard, then press no virtue can be thought to have priority over this endeavor to preserve one's being. Both fingers down around the cheekbone and setting your foot high into the chest. No man can desire to act rightly, to be blessed, to live rightly, without simultaneously. You must call up every strength you own and you can rip off the whole facial mask. Wishing to be, to act, to live, he must ask first, in other words, to actually exist. And you, whiner, who wastes your time dawdling over the remorseless earth, what evil, what unspeakable crime have you made your life worth? That was W.D. Snodgrass, recorded at a studio in New York State in 2007, and used by permission of the author and Kathleen Snodgrass. You've been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about W.D. Snodgrass and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to PoetryFoundation.org.